Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome back to Wellness with Lizelle. And today I'm joined in my well-being studios by Dr. Mayoni Gunaratne. Now, Mayoni, 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 thank you, is a doctor specialising in aesthetics and she's dedicated to helping women restore their health and self-confidence. Now, Dr. Mayoni is a former NHS surgeon. That's unusual for somebody now working in aesthetics. Specialising, even more unusually, in colorectal and pelvic floor surgery. And during this time, she spent three years researching incontinence in women. And this is an all too common yet taboo issue that we're going to be diving into. So very welcome. We love taking on taboos. Thank you. And I know you do too. Yes, indeed. So talk me through your journey. So I'm fascinated always in talking to high level medics. How did you become a surgeon and how did you choose your specialisation? I... um... Definitely wanted to be a doctor from a very young age, mm. from quite an early age. I remember looking at medical journals, my dad's sort of journals, he's a GP. Um, and I then really enjoyed the sciences at medical school, at, at school level, um, and went on to study at St George's. And it was just this incredible culmination of knowledge, but also an art form kind of evolved where you have to be able to speak to patients and take a proper history, kind of understand what their symptoms were and correlate that to how you're going to treat them. And um, what I really loved was my first interaction with surgery was with Mr. Lester, who is a colorectal and pelvic floor surgeon, and he's retired now, but he was one of the pioneers of colonoscopies in the country, and he rolled out, he helped to roll out the screening programme, actually, um, to detect colorectal cancer. And I remember assisting him in theatre. Really? And we had um, a fairly uh, young person who had an obstructed, a blocked bowel. And I was assisting him as a medical student in the days when you could do that sort of thing. Um, And I was uh, fascinated by the fact that we could directly help someone. And yes, obviously it's quite an ordeal, an anaesthetic, an operation, but the patient had a fantastic recovery and they went home a week later 
So you then decided to specialise in colorectal and, and yes. pelvic areas, so basically looking into people's bottoms. Yes. Unfortunately, <laughs> one of the most unglamorous parts of it is the yes. uh, is the R access routes. And obviously in clinic um, and on a day-to-day basis, that's the kind of easiest way for us to look at the insides of people's bowels yes. is through um, a short tube called a, a sigmoidoscope or a slightly longer test which would involve some sedation mm-hmm. um, which would be a colonoscopy yeah. which is done a bit more as a day day case procedure now but through these incredible um, treatment um, you know interventions mm. we can actually treat people and we now know that if we are able to intervene and remove a polyp from someone's bowel we can directly influence their rate of something like a colon mm. cancer which is frighteningly common yes we had bowel babe actually doing a, a, yes. a podcast with us deborah yeah. yeah talking about that and how it affects young young people too and that's, that's a really terrifying thing so you spent obviously many years as a surgeon then working yeah. once you'd qualified you were doing day-to-day operations yes on um, working on colons and the pelvic area so was that you was that involved in urology was that part of your training it was we would often have um, a crossover with the urologists or with uh, the gynecologists in Mm. our hospital they would work we would work in tangent with them Um, I was lucky enough to uh, complete my research at the Royal London Hospital where I worked um, under Professor Norman Williams and his team He's a colorectal surgeon, but specialising in functional bowel disorders. So I think that was when my eyes were opened away from the colon cancers um, into this incredible world where the pelvic floor and its demise impacted on so many organs within that area. And as a result, had a massive impact on people's Mm. well-being. Um, So the pelvic floor is, it's been described to me as like a sling, is that right? That sort of sits, I'm actually sitting up straighter and squeezing squeezing. as we (laughs) talk. I think every female, especially if you've had children, have been told to squeeze whenever you hear those words. So that's how it works. It's like a supporting hammock. Is it it a muscle, the pelvic floor? It is. It's a series of muscles. And I think of it sort of like a hammock Mm. where you've got... um, various organs and those tubes that empty the organs running through it so those are potential sites of weakness right and of course our pelvic floor this sort of sling that sits underneath then connects up to our abdominals and to our back as well mm. hence why our core pelvic um, our core um muscle activity and training is really important mm, to all those core uh, exercises support, stability yes. pilates yeah. all of that pulling up and absolutely zipping up and all those Lovely. techniques yeah it's like good. a big girdle if you right. think of it rather than just being an isolated area it's it all links in through fibrous tissue and through muscle connections mm. to our front and back of our body mm like a big kind of tight girdle so when did you first become interested in more specifically in incontinence did that you know become a passion yes so during my phd that time i was um looking particularly at faecal incontinence which Mm. again is a huge taboo for obvious reasons um sadly women are affected um something like two percent of women are affected um probably to be honest though that's underreported and it's probably much higher um and what would be causing that the predominant causes would be uh, pregnancy, just carrying the virtue of carrying um, 
a pregnancy. So you could become fetal incontinent during pregnancy or you'd remain so afterwards? You would probably um, notice symptoms such as maybe the um, accidental loss of, of wind mm. through that time. It would be unusual to have a complete loss of bowels during that time. But certainly then the actual act of childbirth would heighten any of those things mm. um, because of the strain and stresses if you imagine that we are dilating up our cervix to at least 10 centimeters probably more to allow the birth of a head through that area it's incredible number one but also slightly terrifying and the impact of that um, on mm. our uh, collagen and our connective tissue will impact on all the organs in the pelvis so not just our rectum and mm. our anal sphincters but the bladder the urethra and the sphincters associated with that mm. and of course the nerves that supply all those organs in our mm -hmm. body can be very much um damaged and and stretched mm. which will cause um problems we normally say it can you know you would allow up to six months possibly up to a year even for those things to heal before you would say yes you've definitely got permanent damage that mm. needs a bit more intervention and can you do the same sort of pelvic squeezing exercises is that, is that the sort of the primary response that, that that's the first intervention that you would do is to start that exercise regime Definitely. and i think you know if women are able to in their consciousness start to engage with their pelvic floor a bit more mm. and as i mentioned their core stability mm -hmm. they will definitely be putting themselves in a really good place for recovery yeah. but ideally in the run-up to childbirth um and obviously the period after as well mm. and what yes. about urinary incontinence how, so, how common is that as an issue for women well s scarily much higher one in three women we know after really? childbirth will will suffer with some form of incont of urinary incontinence this increases to actually four so that's one in three and that increases to 40 percent of women over the age of 65 so it becomes a huge problem massive i mean it's an um, aging population absolutely 40 percent is, is yes. a huge number and what's causing that has it come as a legacy from childbirth or are there other factors predominantly yes um and so if we go back to our statistic of one in three that will be you know pregnancy childbirth related and then that sudden jump will be related to the loss of the protective effects of estrogen mm. and progesterone to a degree but mostly estrogen yeah. and that's because these hormones are needed for creating collagen and building strong protein fibers yes, is that right absolutely yeah um and our collagen starts to lose its elasticity and its ability to kind of ping back mm. um which would have initially been that original sort of injury as it were of childbirth where sometimes these collagen fibers are truly stretched beyond the ability of stretching back there is a degree of elasticity that's protected by the estrogen and then as we go through the menopause that's lost completely mm. so yes a massive problem and you know we know as well over the last 50 years um the actual average birth weights increased predominantly babies children's heads um have increased so you know um, so nature hasn't quite more, isn't that interesting with... so our cervixes don't expand no. anymore but our baby's heads are bigger indeed and our pelvises obviously haven't massively changed in size yeah. so there are lots of things where we are now not quite able to keep up with that sort of natural vaginal delivery mm. process one of the things that's i find really concerning actually is going into supermarkets or chemists and just seeing the endless rows of incontinence pads 
And in some ways you might think, oh, that's a good thing because there's more choice and pads are getting thinner, although they're increasingly stuffed full of plastic, which, as we know, is we're trying to de-plasticise the ocean. So creating more of these things is, is, is not a good thing. But it seems to be almost kind of normalising it, mm-hmm. that we're saying, oh, it's OK, you know, as you get older, or maybe you'll have a, you know, your wee when you sneeze or mm-hmm. jump around or whatever mm-hmm. or go out and do sport. Um, you just slip on a pad and you'll be fine or a padded pair of pants. For me, that that's that's not that's like well, can't can't we just address the problem and, and get rid of the problem and not make it yet another money making opportunity for the marketeers? Absolutely, and I think two things that have come to my mind when you you talk about this, Liz. I think firstly, I saw my first Tenor Lady advert after the watershed a couple of weeks ago, which I think is fascinating. You know, why is it after the watershed? Why is it something <laughs> that can't be talked about earlier in yes. the day? And number two. The majority of my patients are in their 30s and 40s that come to see me and they are describing how awful one of the prompts for them is the fact they feel like old women because they're having to use tenor ladies. So let's start to destigmatize this, you know, yes. and like you say, come up with solutions that are addressing the primary problem mm. and supporting our women post baby. Yeah. Primarily. Um, you know, let's talk about access to pelvic floor physiotherapy, mm. which interestingly in France, as I understand, they have an automatic kind of appointment with a pelvic floor physio at their six week appointment. Really? So it's, mm. you know, unheard of. And, yeah. um, you know, we know that that is such a primary um, useful tool. And it's something that empowers women that they feel they're doing something rather than just mm. sticking a pad in. Sure. Okay. And I'd like to pick up on something you said there about the, the tenor lady, other pads are available, obviously, uh, advert being <laughs> on TV after the watershed. I mean, why should that be? Why should there be this this sort of taboo? I mean, is it something that's, that's too considered too dirty or unpleasant? Or it's, I remember hearing you talk about this recently and you know, when you talk about words, using words like, you know, vagina and vulva, and there's been quite a lot of in the media about that recently with various books coming out and exhibitions and TV programmes. Even researching this podcast, I was hesitant to put those words into my word search Mm -hmm. on my computer when I was looking up various bits of research because all that comes up is porn. Absolutely. And you feel like you're in a sort of dirty Mac kind of looking up things and you know, that this is a taboo and it's incredible because how do women who have problems actually access this? How do we go, for, where do we go for information? Help. If yeah. you want to know about things, what words are you going to look up and what, what language are you going to use? And then the images that obviously come up are going to be pornographic ones. They're not actually yeah. going to be the medical. How, how did you find that? I suppose when you were training, was that around so much or is that something that's increased No, and more? I think it was definitely... You know, um, the internet was certainly, yes, I'm quite old now. Um, the internet was not something that was a predominant kind of function, and patients didn't come in saying, Oh, you know, I've looked this up. And yeah, but let's use this resource as, a, as something to help women yeah. and men, let's face yes. it, you know, yeah. because well, boy, know, boys need to learn yeah, too, they do, and and yes. the relationship between couples are hugely compromised by changes in that woman's pelvic floor right. you know not just the incontinence part of it there is obviously um the sexual 
part of it as well mm. and one of my patients recently came to see me and she has now got a sister seal which is this sort of bulging or a prolapse of the bladder wall into the vagina which means that actually she often dribbles and leaks urine she's only 35 she's had one child um who's a year old and she's returning to work and she just said every time she stands up she then has another accident um Gosh. but they are desperate to you know she kind of wants to have another child to sort of get it all over and with as she says right. uh which is sad yes. um but she is now unable to have sex with her husband because every time they have intercourse she wets herself because she empties this little pocket oh, so she's devastating de- isn't it? absolutely so she is now in a real catch-22 where actually her gynaecologist is saying, well, we could do an operation if it is really bad, Mm. but know that it will potentially, you'll have a recovery period afterwards for a few months um, and you will potentially have another problem when you have your baby, your second child, vaginally. So where do you go? You know, how do you access information? Talk to me about the mesh because I've heard this talked about and... It's not something I have personal experience of, so I don't know very much about it. But is from what I gather, it, it was a system of like netting that was used post delivery. Right. So one way of treating um, a prolapse or, or stress urinary incontinence, which is a type of incontinence where you leak when you cough or you exercise or you jump on a trampoline, um, and this is partly due to this sort of laxity in the pelvic floor. And one way of helping with this is by putting a little sling of tissue, of either tissue or mesh, um, which is a kind of, it literally looks like a bit of fishing net, very fine mesh, um, underneath the urethra. And you would typically attach it so it just touches the very top of the vaginal wall and you can attach it to either side of the pelvic bones. Um, and it supports the urethra. Mm. So sounds this was, good. It in, sounds great, in theory, absolutely yeah. in theory. And what uh, had sadly evolved was that the particular mesh that was being used had not been properly studied. And as a result, um, women were noticing that they were having symptoms where the mesh was eroding into the vagina. So one in 50 women were having um painful intercourse Mm. because um, they noticed that it actually had eroded through was it designed to be permanent then yes it's a permanent Mm. device and it it kind of also not just physically will cause the support it's meant to encourage a kind of collagen production which then lifts and tightens and and keeps that whole area intact and in place but because it's a, a physical foreign body in that area it's eroding through soft, you know, natural tissue. Is it something that's still being used? So in June of last year, as a result of such a huge body of women finally finding the voice to say, actually, you know, they've been pushed good. away, that yeah. the government have paused all use of mesh. Have they? Mm. However, there have been uses of it. But in theory, there should not be any more mesh being used until the studies and the investigation. So what should you do if you have mesh? Should you have it taken out? Well, I would definitely try to get back to see the original doctor that mm. saw you if you were having problems mm. however if you're not having problems yeah well, well some women then, be okay yeah you'll be right. fine you know it's it's very much what was happening was that this cohort of women who were um suffering were being f- told to kind of go away and it's fine and it's all in your head and but there are some awful stories of women whose lives totally really unable to go to work chronic pelvic pain unable to have any form of intimate relations with their partner yeah. let alone sex you know it's just um 
one woman, I remember reading her story where she was, she decided she just couldn't go to work anymore. And actually her whole family network fell apart because she was unable to go to work. She couldn't really engage with her children. Mm. It was devastating. And yet she was still being told by the medical sort of system that this was all in her head. And it was, so for these women who have had symptoms, it's very important that they are being recognised and that... No, no other women are being harmed. So what's coming in to replace that then? What are, what are doctors doing? Well, good point. And I think um, we are stuck. We are kind of at a bit of a, a brick wall at the moment. And um, women are still being encouraged to just persevere with pelvic floor exercises. And will um, they help? Can you have a complete recovery through pelvic floor? There, There is definitely evidence that a significant proportion of women, one in seven women, if they are persistent and they you do their exercises regularly mm. will see a resolution of their symptoms one in However, seven is not that high not though. that high given the fact that one ones. in three women in yeah. the population are suffering yeah. that's an awful lot of women um, who are still incontinent absolutely it mm. requires perseverance and i'm you know i'm very much with my physio colleagues they do need to try their pelvic floor exercises first mm. however the caveat to that and being a busy mum myself is having the time, the mm. the inclination, the sort of just remembering to do it is you just need often to absolutely very remember. Yeah. My my physio was telling me recently for something else, but actually this would totally apply to that, just to get a little red dot and stick it somewhere that you look at often. I mean it could be your phone, it could be your your bank card for, for paying things, it could be your car keys, whatever, and whenever you see it that's your visual reminder. Yes. To do whatever idea. it is. And it just absolutely. visually Oh, I'm looking at the red dot. Great. Oh yes. You know, do some some pelvic squeezing. Yeah, you do need to be doing them quite a lot. Um, it's something, you know, like that's up to three sets of ten, basically. So you need to relax and then repeat and squeeze for three seconds, and ideally do a set of ten at least three times a day. So. Obviously, it doesn't take very long to do, but it's like you say, it's the remembering yeah, and it's remembering into your life mm. that's very important. And what other options are there? We've talked a little bit on this podcast before about laser, for example. Certainly. I mean, laser is something that's used to help um, with vaginal atrophy. Yes, I mean, it's not medically licensed, I don't think, it's is, not it? is it, for incontinence? something that's not in this country. And mm. um, however some very senior and respectable um, gynaecologists, particularly in America, have looked at this as a treatment. What laser does is a very superficial way of resurfacing the vaginal um, wall, which sounds quite, you know, full on, but it, um, what, as a result of that resurfacing, you create a new, healthier layer of mucosa which is plumper it tends to help therefore with dryness and atrophy mm-hmm. and that kind of um sent it's a dry painful intercourse mm. in that menopausal period so that's what i would say the yeah. growing body of evidence is is showing some success in mm. interesting because it's, it's sort of all about stimulating collagen production as i understand Absolutely. it and that can also be useful around the urethra that's right so, but it's not deep enough. Laser right. is not deep enough to act in the muscular layers of the mm. vaginal wall. Mm. So that's why it's great for atrophy, which tends yes. to be the that's lining, your superficial the dryness. Superficial dryness, yeah. absolutely. So, so things like techniques like radio frequency, absolutely, is that so, the one that goes deeper? That's right. So, radio frequency. If it's a monopolar radio frequency, now monopolar means that you're using a contact probe, which is a, the, the 
tip that produces the energy on the area of interest. So would it be like going for a smear test? That would That's be potentially similar right, sort of yeah, thing. Similar right. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and how it's delivered will vary from machine to machine. But essentially it's a tip that's applied to the vagina wall and then there's a grounding pad that's applied to the thigh area, for example, and that allows the energy to drive quite deeply into the vagina wall mm. because what the energy is trying to do is get from the tip on the vagina wall to the grounding pad. Obviously, it doesn't get there, but that's what that energy is trying to do, as opposed to bipolar, where you've got two contact tips on the vagina and the energy is just going very superficially between the two tips. Right. So it's important to think about how deep your energy is going because mm-hmm. we know as i've just said it needs to go deep into the muscular layers to and how would stimulate. that help with incontinence then if you were using that around the urethra so we know that if we are using radio frequency on any kind of collagen type tissue you will stimulate it's a heat energy and you need to get to a critical temperature of about 43 degrees in the vagina to actually create enough of a stimulus to stimulate collagen production. Your cells see it as a potential trauma, as a controlled trauma, but the response they do is they create more collagen. And that collagen production takes up to 90 days to happen. So three months, really. Mm -hmm. And um, what you create is essentially a kind of a kind of corset of collagen that encircles the vagina. Mm. Um, And it as a result, can tighten. It can um, act to lift and support the urethra. Um, So much along the same principles, really, as the mesh, Mm. where you are supporting, but you're using that patient's own natural collagen to to stimulate. So you're trying to, you know, mimic what was was there before. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And would you have one treatment or how, how long before you get a result? Uh, it will depend on the device. So there are several mm-hmm. devices on the market. Some require patients to return for three um, treatments over yeah. ideally a week apart um, and in those treatments you're delivering a much shorter burst of energy um, and uh, some devices do allow you to have one treatment which takes longer but then that that would last them for up to 12 months right so it could be potentially an, an annual thing yes and does this heating up hurt um, again, it will depend on the device. Right. So some devices rely on the movement and the constant movement of the tip mm. to dissipate the heat mm-hmm. so that you aren't quite so conscious of it. Yeah. But you would be aware of the heat, yes. Right. Um, and certain devices would uh, just uh, do have a kind of mechanism where that you have got cryogen, which allows the tip to be cooled mm, before the heat is um, pushed into the skin. Gosh, and presumably this isn't available on the health service. It's not, sadly. Not is, it, is it going to come in, do you think, as well, possible so. a replacement to the mesh? That's right. We've got, there is a study that's being undertaken in London, um, which we are hoping would then lead the way to this being available for women in this country, yes. Mm. Is there anything that we can do dietary-wise to help? You know, people often say, I can eat myself better or... Is there any, any any sort of no-nos? And I'm also thinking about faecal incontinence and what would trigger that. Would that be... Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, lifestyle is hugely important, especially for things like incontinence. So looking at things like our caffeine intake, for example. Mm, how does you know, caffeine the, affect us? Then? So caffeine is something um, that we describe as a diuretic, much like alcohol. So, so it's having another sip of oh, coffee. Exactly. <laughs> I was just looking at um, and it's one, so diuretics act directly on the um, kidney, um, on the collecting system within the little kind of mi- the micro sort of ecosystem that exists within our kidneys, which um, is involved in the reabsorption of fluid. So it's it basically reduces the amount of fluid that our kidneys reabsorb. So it means that we wee more. So you produce more urine. And that is a real physical, physiological thing. Physiological you know, we're talking thing. about diuretic. You know, yes. people say, well, coffee's so diuretic. And the, but it actually, it medically, does. surgically, it is it true. Does. It yes. does that. Absolutely. Significantly? Significantly so. And mm. to the point when... I would definitely encourage my patients, if you really want to have your cup of coffee or tea in the morning, try and limit it for lots of reasons, you know, other than just incontinence, but try and limit it to your morning, try and really enjoy it, embrace it, but know that you will be needing the toilet at that, you know, Mm. within probably the hour afterwards. So make sure you're able to get to the toilet um, easily. And um, 
alcohol simile you will know you you know you will definitely have a massive diuretic effect if you then are drinking a lot of the alcohol so for example a beer mm. is a larger volume that you'd consume mm -hmm. you will not just be weighing that volume you'll yes. be weighing more than that Extra because than you're that. yeah so and then you get dehydrated absolutely presumably because you're not retaining the fluid that's we're right. using it that's right so it's important i think to drink what I worry about is particularly for our slightly older population who may be suffering that they go, oh, I'm not going to drink anything. And that dehydration is obviously not good. So it's drinking water is absolutely fine. Mm. You should be drinking plenty of normal fluids, mm. but try to minimise or ideally avoid your diuretics. Is tea diuretic as well? Tea is, yes. Anything with caffeine? Absolutely. It still has quite a significant amount of caffeine sure. in Chocolate. compared to... Um, I would hate to deny people of their chocolate. Yeah, but it does have but caffeine. But it does have caffeine. Yeah, especially yes. the high cocoa solids. Absolutely. So be conscious of what yeah, you're just taking be aware. in um, and use them as treats and things, but make sure mm. you're able to get to the toilet in time. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly things like smoking, um, we know that that, obviously, for lots of reasons, smoking has a detrimental effect on us, but certainly the chronic coughs that patients can have as a result of smoking will exacerbate that downward pressure on our pelvic floor right. and therefore their risk of incontinence. Um, so, like I said, for lots of reasons, you know, the NHS yeah. offers patches, free nicotine patches on the yes. NHS, so make the most of it and, and access that yeah. support. When you talk about drinking, how many glasses of water do you think we should drink a day? Because this is a question I'm always asked. Well, it's at least two litres of fluid is it really of, of fluid of fluid okay. and it should be something ideally that's not going to be um too concentrated or sweet ideally water i mean if you can access two liters of water a day that's fantastic mm. um and that can be in the form of your fruit teas green teas anything herbal that doesn't have the caffeine in mm -hmm. um and ideally avoiding minimizing the amount of fizzy and carbonated drinks mm. that we, we we consume is there a specific reason for that i think Really, the carbonic acid is just, it's not great for your teeth, quite frankly, if nothing sure. else. Um, and that huge amounts of acid sometimes can make us feel quite bloated um, mm. and have reflux. So just tap water yeah. or are you, are you, filtered water. Yes, that's what I do. Yeah. We have filters. In London, we actually double filter. Lovely. We have a tap filter and then it goes into a jug that gets filtered because yes. just the taste, it's so chlorine-y. Yes. I find it's, it's Absolutely. very different. Different parts of the country differ. Lovely. Um, so much. But we do know that the calcium in... in regional water mm. is protective for us mm -hmm. from heart disease so it's right the calcium you know we know calcium now um it so has we got, need that i wonder if yeah. the filters take that out it probably does to a degree mm. so you don't want it too soft the water right. that you drink you do want a degree of hard water yes and what's not great for shampooing your hair <laughs> <laughs> yes very important subjects <laughs> what about things like probiotics and and gut health because that's something i'm personally very passionate about yes. do you see that having an impact in your work hugely i mean we know about the microbiomes we know how well we don't actually we don't know enough about it i think that's the point but we there is a significant um, link that we are seeing between our gut health and particularly estrogen um metabolism and progesterone links to progesterone and testosterone and so it's really powerful it's a really powerful mechanism mm. to help to regulate our hormone balance. Mm. Um, and particularly as our other organs fail, as we start to go through the menopause, we start to see the importance that's placed in our, um, in our gut health. Um, 
gut health just affects everything, doesn't it? It's just such a fascinating emerging scientific area of medicine, don't you think? I think we're going to be looking back in the future at this time and thinking, well, what do you mean you didn't know about this particular species of bacteria or or encouraging the diversity of bugs? That's right, and... um, we are very lucky to have had Tess Drum, who's joined the clinic as mm. our nutritionist now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a lovely fit clinic on Monday evening, actually, where she talked all things gut and hormones. Mm. And um, she has just studied um, a lot more into functional medicine. Mm. And that's what she'll be bringing to the clinic, which is really exciting because there is only so much that modern medicine can do. Yeah. I think we do need to look at how our gut um, is affected uh, by our environment, um, but also in a positive way, what we can do to to promote it. And I, I would go cautiously with our probiotics that we find on on the supermarket shelf. I'd look to things that've been around for years: sauerkraut, mm. kimchi. You know those fermented pickled cabbages, for example, are full of fantastic, healthy gut bacteria. Um, a little bit of that on our plate. Um, yeah. It's fab. I'm a big of fan of kefir. Ah, brilliant. Kefir. I have kefir every morning. Every morning. I make my own. Brilliant. I drink goat's milk kefir and cow's milk kefir. Fabulous. And it's really um, changed my life, actually, I think, in in, in, in a good way. It's, and how easy do you find to access, you know, getting access to those? Um, well, I buy it now from supermarkets if I'm around or I try and make it myself. And I have sachets of powder, kefir powder. And when I travel, I take those with me. And if I'm away for you know more than a couple of days, I will just go and buy a pint of milk locally and then just make it. And because you need to keep it room, you know, warm at room yeah. temperature, so you can just shake in the powder yeah. and give it a good old mix and then just leave it on your bathroom again, shelf. And then what's really interesting about it is that because it absorbs all the yeasts and the bacteria that are floating around in the atmosphere Mm. around us wherever you are you get different strains so all the time you're then repopulating your gut with all these different diverse strains that you can then benefit from when you come home and they do say that they protect you locally so if there are particular bad bugs out there Mm. locally you know tummy bugs or whatever when you travel if you have can get some of the local good bugs they've obviously evolved to create to to help keep you healthy Mm -hmm. when you're in that locality Mm -hmm. so fabulous i mean the gut does have its own brain and my research was actually neuromodulation of the gut and understanding how the colon has got its own ability to to function on its own you know it can contract on its own out of in isolation out of the body uh, which is fascinating and this sort of feedback pathway is so complex mm. and it then feeds back to our higher centers in our brain um and that is something that we don't understand yet we are sadly um seeing the ramifications of that with things like irritable bowel syndrome mm. which is very much a disease of modern day living yes um, you must have know, I mean, as, a, as a colorectal surgeon you must have come across that absolutely so often and, it and was what's always, triggering that why why is it such a, a, an increase well interestingly it was it's often associated with a traveler's um tummy so predominantly there will be um and if you track back far enough in that person's history within that year usually they will have had a sort of uh, a, a traveler's bug of some sort, which will then have completely um, disrupted their natural flora and fauna in their gut. Um, And then coupled with um, return to normal function and stress and life, 
it feeds into an abnormal pathway and we pretty much believe that there is some aberrant connections that are then reinforced so that kind of disruption in of the initial gut flora and fauna then feeds is fed almost by our anxiety and our stresses which then keeps rewiring keeps keeps that that cycle cycle going. going so how do we best break it then well it's all the things that probably our ancestors have practiced which is mindfulness um Mm. having um a degree of self-care trying to step out of the business it's very very hard to Mm. do particularly if you live in in a city or if you're part of a very kind of bigger kind of corporation or you know um that sort of part of our life is is hard to escape but trying to make time for yourself we know is very important practicing some sort of meditation i think is key mm. and of course this sort of gut connecting back with our gut in yeah a positive so way. eating for a healthy eating, gut yeah, the fermented absolutely. foods the cultured Definitely. foods the variety the variety are there any particular probiotics or any particular strains that are, are useful with with ibs or with gut colon care i mean i'm I'm thinking i've looked into the rhamnosus species for example yes. which seems to be very implicated in um, female pelvic health yes. urinary tract infections absolutely vaginosis that kind of thing there is and it's completely gone on my head at the moment okay Sorry. well we will we will come back to that yes <laughs> we I will make it written it... down because we talked about it on monday ah well. interesting yeah sorry no yeah. i mean it, it is such an area that of development where in the future you know yeah. more people will potentially look at different mm-hmm. strains of bacteria to definitely and to treat different things i my worry i suppose is what it with what's commercially available is that then in nowhere near the kind of concentrations that we need or the right yeah. strains of bacteria and i worry that everyone's sort of busy drinking their little drinks and it's not quite enough well it's not nowhere near mm. enough really to promote gut health how um, much of the the probiotic species actually makes it through down to the the lower intestine very small percentages i mean we're talking probably one to two percent of that is actually getting to the area but you don't need huge amounts you don't it need is able to populate itself so fine. That's fine so as long as you have that something, tiny seed yeah, it's like growing a crop of something isn't it you absolutely. just have that little starter absolutely. granule but you've obviously got to get that small amount that's right but it's easily offset i suppose and the, the worry is where we then are if we're under stress or pressure, you are then altering gut transit time because you're increasing the amount of adrenaline that's circulating in our body, which will then have a detrimental effect on our gut directly. So that's one of the reasons why we need to stay stress-free or slightly minimize, less, less minimizing stressed. Minimising our stress, I think, because then you get stressed about being stressed and, you know, you start beating yourself up about... <laughs> I'm too stressed. Yeah, I'm too stressed. I'm stressing about stressing. But it's... If you can... In our busy world, even if you can make time in the morning, for example, I'm reading uh, Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's fantastic book on mm. um, on stress, and he he talks about micro stress doses. And you know, before seven o'clock in the morning, you've been hit with all these micro stress doses, and then you have a big micro stress, which is the traffic into work, for example. Yeah. You know, if you can do things to start to just even begin your day with a positive affirmation mm. you will certainly be setting yourself up to having a better day to manage know, those to manage those what about the impact of things like cortisol on our system Absolutely. looking at, at gut health and so cortisol is um, something that's become more and more apparent to us that has a huge impact on our general wellness and, and has longer ramifications than i think what cortisol was actually designed to do which is help us deal with a fight or flight response so 
back in our kind of caveman days, cave women days, um, you know, in the in the face of of uh, danger, our adrenal glands would produce cortisol, which would be fired off to our muscles and to our heart tissue and to our brain to make us more alert, ready for action, heart pumping, ready to run away. And of course, that translates to us. Um, on a daily level experiencing that with our busy lives mm. and that prolonged exposure um, over many days weeks years even will have um, a detrimental effect on our adrenal glands the thing of adrenal fatigue I'm not entirely sure that, that exists in its in its own entirety because true medical Adrenal failure is known as Addison's disease, and that's where there's absolute lack of, of cortisol production, which is a medical emergency. But I do believe our adrenal gland begins to, to fail slightly. It starts to suffer. It's getting tired. Um, tired, it? exactly. Mm. And, and there's only so much these little tiny organs can do. Um, and as a result of that, we start to see um, something called cortisol steel. So this prolonged cortisol production takes away from the natural flow and production of our sex hormones so our androgens so testosterone our dhea our um, progesterone and our estrogen so those is all steel i've never heard that expression yeah so it's stealing all our good stuff it does so if you actually look at the the production of all of these hormones it originates with with cholesterol Mm. so you know cholesterol is important to us so that whole kind of fat-free diet i think is is also something to be wary of oh i've written about it for years but i'm shocked by it now i'm i'm all for the good lovely all important because we've got to you know we we can't make cholesterol we've got to ingest this somehow so Mm. this cholesterol is our kind of mother um, hormone and it then is diverted into making all these other lovely all these other ones so we need our so good need cholesterol our good cholesterol to make all our other hormones absolutely. so we need our good fats absolutely that's such a simple and clear lovely. explanation of why that's important and you know if you can again veganism is a is suddenly a huge fad again i worry about people's ability to get enough omegas to get yeah. enough of the fats that we get from naturally oily fish such as mm. our sardines mackerel um you know they are full of the right kinds of, of cholesterol um and what we then divert away if we are under huge amounts of stress our body is busy making cortisol, which means that we are not making enough of these lovely, good mm. sex hormones, mm. which um, for people who may already be on the cusp of, say, the menopause, um, you you then are kind of pushing yourself into a slightly earlier yeah. onset of these symptoms. Yeah. And can that help um, with fertility as well? Would that, would that be an implication? Absolutely. And we know that sadly, you know, people who suffer, for example, from the very extreme forms of, of dietary problems such as anorexia yeah. and bulimia will be massively compromising their, yeah. their sex hormone production. So, yeah. yes, we know that normalising our cortisol levels, you know, um, the moment that, you know, anecdotally, I know lots of friends and family who, for example, the moment they kind of take a stress factor out of their life, yes. um, even if it is the, the trying for a baby, suddenly yes, you suddenly think, actually, I'm going to yeah, stop you know doing what? that. And, and then it exactly. happens. Because your body, body speaks to you, but we don't always have the time to listen. Yeah. Oh, my only, it's been absolutely brilliant to speak to you oh, and to listen Thank to you. you. Thank you very much indeed. We've covered so many areas. I think it's going to be hugely helpful for a lot of people. Fab. Thank Good. you. Good. I'm glad. 
Well, that is it for today. But as always, you will find the details of the resources and the links that we've mentioned in today's show over on lizardwellbeing.com. We'll pop all my own details and all the things that we've talked about and where you can go for more resources because I'm sure that you'll want to head over and take a look and click on the links. And you'll also be able to sign up to the free newsletter that we send out and that has lots of well-being wisdom and recipes and behind the scenes ideas and treats and all the rest of it so you might like to dip into that don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your podcast app this will ensure that the next episode of wellness with lizelle is downloaded safely into your phone without having to remember it and if you'd like i would really love it if you could find a moment to leave a review as it really does help other potential listeners find the show and very often get help they might absolutely need so until the next time Go well. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.